you know, I think what Carol's talking about is what's really needed right now is is a major culture shift around how we look at death and dying. You know, overall, it's like we're afraid to talk about it. It's the one thing we all share that we're all marching towards. We're all walking each other home, yet we don't talk about it. Hey everyone, it's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling. I'm back with a new friend and an old friend. Old friend being Gagan Levy, who is part of the Love Serve Remember Foundation, and Carol Sanford. Carol, welcome. Great to have Thank you. Thank you. Great to have Great you. To so, be you. Yeah. Uh, Gagan uh, and Carol have known each other, and uh, I think it would be great, Gagan, if you introduced Carol and her work, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, we don't know each other very well. We oh. play we play in the same sandbox quite a bit. Uh. But um, I will say that uh, I, Carol has been a mentor for me from afar. Um, I am a huge fan of uh, her books. And, um, you know, she's really been a guiding light for a lot of leaders and businesses looking to have more responsible businesses. I, I um, you know, had a, had a book called Responsible Business and a book Regenerative Business, which have both been um, on my coffee table. Um, and she's also, uh, I would say, um, been right at the center of a lot of the major kind of systemic change movements in, in various industries that I've seen, particularly in natural products. There's a group called One Step Closer that I've seen her work uh, very closely with in helping them to kind of transform what's happening in, in food um, and natural products. And um, I know she does that work you know, with everything from Fortune 500 companies to startups. So um, uh, I have been uh, very excited to for this conversation. I just learned that she has a connection to Ramdas as well. But I just know there's so much wisdom from Carol for, for our community um, on the things that she's been talking about for years, whether it's, you know, regenerative business, being a regener- regenerative leader, living a regenerative life. Um, but, um, and, and now most recently, um, in the, in the face of, um, well, I'll let her share her story, but I'll just say that most recent work she's doing around conscious dying, um, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, really touches, you know, a lot of the work that, that we do that Ram Das is doing for, for quite a long time, actually in honor. I'm wearing my, one of my favorite Ram Das shirts here. I've got my, we're all just walking each other home. Mm -hmm. Um, shirt, uh, which was the last book that he did where, you know, he really talked about his own dying process, his, his conscious dying process with, uh, Mirabai Bush. But, um, yeah, uh, I guess that's, I'll, I'll leave it there as an intro for Carol. I'm so excited to have the, uh, to be on in conversation with you too. So Carol, can we go I mean, it's uh, interesting, actually, to me that you just talked about, because I didn't say anything, but meeting Ramdas in Berkeley after he had, he was on a speaking tour for 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 that particular book around the psychedelic experience with Leary, and uh, but let's go back to maybe your more. I always like to hear, you know, how did uh, these formative years from teenage years yeah. into adulthood 
how did that form who you became and what you have to share? Well, it's interesting. My years would go a little earlier in my uh, six to 14 years old. I was with my Mohawk grandfather. So I have, he was uh, part of uh, the Iroquois nation mm. and he lived, he served as an advisor to the Ag, uh, what do you call it, Farmers Bureau in the Dust Bowl. And he transformed so many people's thinking in the Pantanalo Oklahoma about how this life works. And it was a lot of wisdom. And he mm. took me with him when I was with him in the summer and sometimes uh, Christmas time. And so uh, I had a father who was not, uh, in some people's eyes, a very good person. <clears throat> He'd been raised very racist. And he was a judge and a very powerful man and could act on his racism. And uh, I was in trouble with him all the time for mm. disagreeing. And then my grandfather called me a positive contrarian because I was contrary about everything. But I had a, a view of a potential in every situation. So my grandfather rescued me a bit from uh, the very strong punishing behaviors of my father mm. and taught me to interpret my father not as an evil man, but as an incomplete man. Yeah. And I found that same concept, incompleteness in humans, in, including in Ram Dawson's work, which I can't say I was an extensive student. I worked more with Metzner, uh, and then Metzner led me into Free Alvindo and the Mother oh, really? uh, work. Yeah, wow. which was a part of the California Institute. He helped found, I think Ram Dass was involved in that founding. Uh, anyway, those kind of threads, while I was very young and going through my teenage years with, at Berkeley and until I was about 22, uh, one other thing at Berkeley, um, as we had Thomas Kuhn and just published his book, The Structure of the Scientific Revolution. And he was a two-year visiting scholar. I was at Berkeley in the middle of the free speech movement, the war in Vietnam, Thomas Kuhn, everybody in the world throwing up there. Uh, and Kuhn took my world and all my fundamentalist Christian beliefs, mm. which I think freed up a lot of opportunity to see other things. And so I became a devotee of Kuhn and his challenge to our little, we sent the Brad Skeller on uh, what, Telegraph Avenue and asked Kuhn questions. And he was trying to figure out what he was going to do with this idea of paradigm shift. And somebody in our little group asked him, well, how do you get people to change paradigm? And that became a lifelong question because Kuhn said, I wrote the book, that's your job. Not to me, but to the group. Mm -hmm. But I took it personally. And uh, again, I know 
And like you heard me talk a lot about paradigm shift, and it becomes a thread, and it's a an instrument for be able to be able to see where you are creating worldview that limits what you can see. To me, it's a self-assessing mechanism, which is more important than a religion or a, a gospel or something that people already have the right answers. So that, and I think that, again, what do you think? Does that sum up what I talk about a lot? <laughs> I, absolutely. I, I love your, uh, I didn't know that backstory. And I, and I, some of my favorite things I hear you speak about is, is shifting paradigms um, uh, and that potentiality. Right. Mm, you know what, Carol, that uh, when you, you mentioned Sri Aurobindo and mother, this is probably left of what we're talking about here, but uh, yeah. that, that was my introduction when I went to India was I met, the mother. When oh I was my like gosh! 24. Oh my gosh! I felt goosebumps <laughs> all over me. Uh, I never met her or Sri Aurobindo or Mahatma Gandhi, who was Aurobindo's best friend. Uh, but I can imagine. Uh, can you say a bit about what that moves in you to meet her? Uh, yeah, yeah. She she was uh, not well. Had a uh, Oh, yeah. An autoimmune disease, probably. I don't think I was ever told. And I was there in Pondicherry, that French town. Right. She came from France. She was a French woman who got dreams and visions to go to India to meet him, Sri Aurobindo, who was a great oh, Indian right. philosopher saint. And uh, I went there because I was my girlfriend. I had an Indian girlfriend who said, come, we got to meet uh, mother. I said, Okay. I was waiting to meet Neem Karoli Baba, but Ramdas hadn't told me he could find him at that moment. So I went, and it took quite a while till she was giving darshan, giving uh, allowing people to see her because of her illness. And uh, I went, and I was, uh, I was actually, and this is just awful indictment of my silly personality, but I went there and I was afraid. I knew she had lost motor function and yeah. I was afraid to be wrapped up in fear, my own yeah. fear of death. At, yeah. Right. And, uh, I went and the, the, uh, there was a guardian at the gate, this like six foot four tall man with a big beard, white, he looked like I went to heaven. Right. And there he was. And he let me in the room and I went to her. And it was the proverbial thing that you read in books. Oh, God, we walked in and it was just light. And I, that's what happened to me. Mm. <laughs> and I wasn't, I was, you know, I was not a quote unquote new ager even back then about light and all of that. And I didn't ever see anything, but I was completely absorbed in the, in the extraordinary pre presence of, of the divine mother. Mm -hmm. And, and I had gone and I brought uh, prasad, something that you do with a holy person you bring, they suggested flowers, but I was more interested in something I like. So I, br I brought her bananas. And I remember <laughs> giving her the bananas and she went she French and I, I'm from Montreal. So I spoke French. I mean, not there's anything. Ah, très bien. Banane. Very good. <laughs> 
banana. And then she just stopped my world for about several minutes. They had to come grab me, the guy at the door, and get me out of there because it was a five-minute oh. interview. And, right. uh, and uh, funny thing is later when I met Neem Karoli Baba, Ram Dass's guru from Be Here Now, and right. all that, my guru, his, um, he said, where were you before you came here? In Hindi, it was translated. And I was at Swami Muktanand, this other um, teacher in uh, near right. Mumbai. And so I'm trying to get out. Yo, yeah, I was, before I could say anything in English, he pointed, which he used to do all the time, and went, mother. So I, I the connection was like, holy God, right. Mm. I got a mm. training uh, in Divine Mother and Matri Aurobindo Ashram. Wow. Neat. Yeah. Good karma. What karmas. a beautiful story. Great karma. Uh, yeah, I studied with uh, a Sri Aurobindo and the mother group here in Seattle when I first came up here because they were meeting down the street from me. And several people who were in that group had been to Pontchartrain oh. and went annually. Uh, and there was someone, well, I do a lot of things I'm going to think as well, of course. Uh, anyway, uh, they uh, they would share when they came back what their experience was. And, you know, the Shreya Bindo never met with people again. He turned everything over to the mother. Yeah. But he would send messages out, and they would bring them back and read them mm. to us. And some writings, I've read everything the mother wrote during the last years of her life. Mm. And it's very... Very meaningful. Yeah, yeah. Very connected to us as social beings, not, you know, being able to live in both worlds at right. the same time. Yeah. Um, well, maybe cut to what you've been going through and sharing that yeah. uh, would be a would be a good mm -hmm. idea. I would, uh, I would say I'm not going through anything. It just is. Uh, yes. I mean, yeah. every, everyone who says, oh, I'm so sorry. You have ALS, and I'm sorry for your pain and agony. I said, why are you sorry? I believe I chose this path before I was born. And now that stops everything. You really? Uh, wow. And I I believe that uh, there's no reason to even suffer or at least observe your suffering and don't talk about it for God's sake. Because uh, I believe the gift that we're missing, and uh, I know... Uh, there are other gurus who speak about this. It's not like I'm some uh, special uh, person. I don't. Most people don't talk about it. In the arenas don't talk about it. Uh, <clears throat> but I believe every death is a portal, and it's a portal not just for the individual who's leaving one body and potentially entering another, but for everyone who chooses to sit in practice when the energy field is created of a conscious dying being. And so my job here is not to have a peaceful death and a calm death. And something that for me is to create an energy field from every moment I can stay conscious. And that's not easy a lot of times, right? Mm. But if I can be in a meditative practice or prayer practice and so others of some of the lineages, 
Ukraine and Aunt Luck for the mother did that for you when you walked in the room. She was dying and she created a portal of energy which you could move into. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think there's another level. There's my consciousness. There's a portal. And I've got several hundred people who are sitting with me and will as I begin to die, which I'll tell you something about in a moment. But I think the important work that I'm doing so publicly and recording it, I'm making it possible for people to have be able to experience what's happening with me is I believe we need to change people's worldview of death and dying and what its purpose is and its role in. And so I'm trying to do it so publicly, imperfectly, but to create that kind of conversation so it's not about my peaceful death and all about me. Mm. So. Yeah. You know, it, there's a, in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, there's a, they have a prayer called Poha, Powa, right. P-O-W-A. And in it, one of the one of the things that one repeats as part of the prayer is, "May my death be a benefit to all humanity." Oh, man. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I have them reading Soga Rinpoche's uh, Tibetan Book of Living and Dying because it's a bit more accessible. Yes, uh, that's yeah. People who, and it it has you know more about the Bardos. And we're and that's one way of explaining a bardo also. And <clears throat> we are um practicing reading together, uh and people designing work and practices for their own consciousness while they're in the room with me and I'm doing everything I can to be fully present and conscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I you know what's inter- interesting about ALS is you get to know quite a bit beforehand when you're going to die or what you're going to die of. You're going to die of being paralyzed and suffocated. Doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> uh, of course not. And that's what people know that. But um, I did a lot of reading about how various sages have died in Tibet and in India in indigenous cultures, and what they do is when they feel their work is done, and like in my case, that would be I can't speak, I can't stay sitting up, I can't uh, begin to create things that have meaningful dialogue. They go sit down and die. And the way they do that is they stop eating and drinking, and then the life force is gone in about two weeks at the most, sometimes in a few days. That's my plan. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go all the way to being paralyzed. I think there's a little too much drama in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to do the V-set, voluntary stop eating and drinking. And uh-huh. I will have with me the couple hundred people who want to be very close to that portal and they will support my transition with their energy and mine toward theirs. Mm. That's the plan. Mm. That's amazing, yeah. Carol. Extraordinary wow. generosity as well. And it's and it's 
reminded me of Ram Das talking about he would always say his his favorite days on earth were days that he would be in the presence of someone dying when he would be yes. next to someone's deathbed because he knew he was going to be in the presence of of truth. Yeah. I uh, worked at the Green Gulch uh, oh, really? Hospice in San Francisco mm. uh, with several people, including uh, I was with my life partner when he died, with my mother when she died, with my sister-in-law, and then a lot of people I didn't know. And I promised myself, and I failed me, but I promised to every year, at least once, be with someone who is leaving their body. And I did that for, I don't know, 22 years. And it was profound. And I'm sorry to say I forgot. Uh, Ram Dass was right. Being in the presence of someone dying is a portal to something much greater. And it's, uh, I do believe, I thought of that when you uh, described being with the mother. Mm. That was yeah. what it felt like. Totally. totally. Um, you know, the perspective that, that you totally seem to uh, have absorbed into this particular experience uh, is very much like what happened with Ramdas. And there's a movie about it called Fierce Grace. Right. Right. And you just yeah. described it in a, in a different way. Uh, but... Uh, it was interesting because he, at the beginning, um, he would say his guru gave him the stroke. And, you know, he would, that, that would be a marker in his life to be able to grow from it. But he went to India and he, he was with, uh, just before he ended up in, in Maui for 15 years or so, early 2000s. Uh, and he, talked to this uh, another woman saint named Siddhima, who was with Maha, Neem Karoli Baba for many years. And he, she knew that he said, you know, Neem Karoli Baba gave me the stroke. And she said to him, no, no, he's not giving. Why would he be giving you a stroke? Nature took place. What he gave you was the, she didn't say it in exactly these terms, but it was what she meant gave you the ability to be able to have a perspective to transform the right. suffering. And I mean, tell me how you see that as well and how when you got the diagnosis, what, what, was, what were the events sort of in that moment? I said, all right, uh, I feel blessed. I get to know how I'm going to die. Most people never, ever know. It just comes. Mm. Catches mm. you off guard. Uh, and I know kind of what the path might look like. If you want to try and be conscious, the most quick thing, quick in the moment thing you can do is just observe what you're feeling and seeing and thinking and detach yourself from it by naming and watching it. I said, I have, I had had it for nine years by the time I was diagnosed. But I didn't know what I had. No one oh. did. I was traveling all over the world in wheelchairs and poles. Uh, so I said, um, and tomorrow you remember, I've always believed, and this is an indigenous belief, 
uh, from my grandfather. I've always believed that we pick how we're going to die before we're born. You can't get your ticket into a body until you pick how you're going to die. Oh, really? Wow. And, and I believe that I chose this particular, quite difficult, if you don't have a right perspective, way to die. Only 9,000 people a year get this. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> and I believe I picked it. I don't think I said this that day, but a few days later I said, I read about and thought about death and dying my whole life since I was a child. And I've always thought it was bizarre how people talked about it. I think I chose this path because I get a few years to be with it. And it, I potentially to help people think about a different way to view death and dying. And particularly its purpose, uh, which is to give us a way uh, to learn about portals between the worlds. And so she became, and I told her, I'm going to die. That took a few months with the V-Said. And then she became calm. And then I could work on myself. Because uh, it's very hard. Mm. Uh, she's been my business partner for 25 years. Your daughter? Uh, yeah. Wow. She's 50. How old is she now? 52. Mm. And so she's worked with me, but never in front of the, what we do, always behind the scenes. Uh, so my then I could talk to her about it all the time. I could start to plan. And so I knew from within the first hours that I had finally had the answer. What in the world did I pick to die from before I was born? Because I told people to ask that question uh, all the time to keep it awake in their mind. Because most people run away from death and dying, even like you did briefly. Yep, right? yep. So if they have a, I wanted them to have a practical question. And the moment they told me what my diagnosis was, a neuro, they call it muscular disease. I said, ah, and I said it to the doctor, ah, that's what I picked to die from. And she laughed. She had no idea what I was talking, but it made her so nervous. She thought somehow I had to figure out a way to trigger this. No. So I could, no. I was so fine. So that's all the kind of things that were going on around me. And I go to a lab, or I can once a month, where it's all ALS uh, caregivers. And they're all very kind, but they have no idea how to support the spiritual path. So every time I go in, I shake them up a little uh, about what we, what this stage might be about and what would this purpose be in our life. So mm. there's a kind of, those are kind of scattered thoughts about Yeah, yeah. That's a, a posi positive contrarian, even in the ALS uh, <laughs> yeah. circle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'm having to raise money because I never expected to have such an expensive disease. Yeah. Uh, uh, I always thought I'd have a heart attack because everybody in my family did. And then, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, <laughs> so when I, um, I forgot where I was going. Oh, uh, I said, 
uh, I want to focus on this changing how we die. I don't want to figure out how to deal with money. This is that's like an earthly beckoning back to this world. Um, as you know, my friend Pamela Mang has helped, so I don't have to think about it because I want to do this work. I believe it's an incredible gift to be able to develop yourself and develop your consciousness, uh, especially while you're leaving your body, because so much more is awake in you then. Mm. Uh, yeah. You know what's interesting? I, I pose this to you, Gagan. So Carol grew up with a grandfather, an indigenous, indigenous man who uh, shared this incredible wisdom that we all need to um, have more people sharing with us and be more receptive, more more to the truth. And part of it was uh, this uh, knowing that it was real, that you do accept uh, before you can come down, that you accept the reality that you know the method by which you will leave this particular body. So there was you had connectivity, believing, of course, in, in this indigenous wisdom, Carol, all through your life. I had that thing happen to me with the mother where I was faced with it and, and had fear. And, you know, I fortunately, because I met Neem Karoli Baba, so I was, I had some methodology about addressing that through my life. And I always say on podcasts when I have people on and we talk about this particular subject, it's not a matter of, of waiting until you find out your diagnosis and then do something about it. It's like a now thing. And so I pose this to Gagan, who's a couple of generations down from us. What, what is that? What is this meant to you in terms of, of, um, as Don Juan says in the, um, the uh, uh, those beautiful Castaneda books, wow. you walk around with death on your left shoulder. So you have, you know, you're not dismissing or uh, becoming remote with, with the reality of that. So, yeah, talk about it, Gagana. I don't think we ever really talked about well, it. Yeah, it's in- I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm coming off, so this week, this last weekend was the last three dead and company shows <laughs> and so grateful dead right yes and i really heard jerry's poetry this weekend like yeah. i i've I listened to a lot of dead in my life but but you know that's it that work grateful dead i mean we can walk around being afraid of dying our whole life or we can already know that we're all dead and be grateful and 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 come here together um, and, uh, and, and live without that, without that fear, I think, uh, on, you know, on my shoulder at all times. I mean, you know me well enough, it's how I live, but, um, Oh, by I, the way, it's not fear on the shoulder. It's presence that it's part of birth, life and, and death is present. It's not a, it's not walking around with fear on your shoulder. Well, I've heard that all maybe I, I heard I forget where I heard that, but that most fear in this life comes from actually a fear of death yeah. as kind of the the central yeah. yeah um but you know, I think what Carol's talking about 
is what's really needed right now is is a major culture shift around how we look at death and dying. You know, overall, it's like we're afraid to talk about it. It's the one thing we all share that we're all marching towards. We're all walking each other home, yet we don't talk about it. You know, um, I'll never forget when Ram Dass was telling the story of being in a hospital next to a, a deathbed and, you know, the family's all there and they're and the doctor and they're saying to the person, oh, you're going to be okay. We're going to, you know, we're going to get out of here. Yeah. And they walk out in the hallway and the doctor says, you know, probably has 24 hours, 48 hours. Yeah. And what a disservice. You know, and, and it, it, it. So we live in this culture um, of being that afraid of of uh, this, you know, opportunity, really. Um, and um, you know, this this won't answer it directly, but you know this story, Ragu. Um, and I don't think I've ever talked about it here, but Carol. So my brother uh, Gavin, uh, who's my younger brother and my best friend, two years younger than me, passed away five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and when he left his body about a month later, I, I took a walk in the woods and I actually had a conversation with him. Like I'm having a conversation sure. with you right now. And I don't know. I mean, Ra- Ram Das used to talk about having conversations with Maharaji after he passed. He said, I don't know if it's my imagination or if he's really there, but <laughs> who cares? You know? And, um, and for me, it was it was so real. And he shared things with me that actually I had confirmed later. So it was like things that I didn't know that I was downloaded from spirit or from my brother. And I went through this moment of um, where in my life, it went from like, I've always had a faith of those, of, of the bardos, of the other realms. Oh. Uh, but it went from faith to a confirmation that, and it was this really, it's been this interesting, I mean, over the last five years, just um, taking that in and the knowing the tr- the truth. It's not anymore like I hope or uh, yeah, I've got faith that there's a beyond. It's it, I mean, I'm, I've been in dialogue with a spirit from the other realm. I, I know it's there positively, 100%. Um, and, um, and so that, that's been an interesting evolution, I guess, in, in my path as I, as I think about that, Raghu. I think there's, I mean, there, the, yes, the presence, but also the, um, the, the comfort, just how can I use this body, this human experience to, to, um, become a better, whatever spirit that yeah. I am inhabiting this body that I, yeah. I, that I, that I invited in, that I took, got the ticket, you know, that I invited in this karma to get this suffering or this joy and this learning to just move along in my own evolution towards hopefully, you know, a, 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 a better world, a better universe in some way. And, I guess I want to end with, I want to ask a question back to Carol, because I had this insight in this conversation with my brother when I came out of it. You know, most of my energy and time goes into making this world a better place. My whole business I've built is around mental health, climate action, and healing food systems. And, And I came out of this conversation with my brother and I said, well, if I now know there's another realm, why am I working so damn hard here to make this place better, you know? And I've and I've had a little trouble reckoning yeah. that tension of spending <laughs> time to really impact the world here, but also, but but knowing that this is you know one of many uh, the Russian doll that I'm you know that mm-hmm. I'm in. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Um, well, I have uh, thought about your early comment, and then let me come back to that one. Uh, I've had an interesting experience being so public on every podcast, everything I write, wherever I am telling people I'm dying and how I'm going to do it. The most disconcerting thing that keeps happening is people say, I know a doctor who can cure this, <laughs> or I know a healer right. who can heal you. And I ended up in a very public, do you know Tyson Yankaporta is from Sand Talk? He's a indigenous mm-hmm. scholar from, and leader in Australia. Yes, I he, did a podcast with him. Oh, okay. Amazing. He guy. calls me, he calls me auntie. And oh, he said, really? uh, that I'm the one here. And we talk once a month. And he wrote the forward to my new book. It'll be out shortly. And well, I have on an email exchange where some young man was trying desperately hard to uh, convince me not to die, not to work on dying, but work on healing. And I copied Tyson on one of these. He said, he, I, if you want a copy, I'll send it to you. It was a beautiful. And we'd never done a few podcasts. But he said, uh, you don't understand the greatest healing is dying conscious. Mm. And you're missing that point. Uh, quit trying to rush in and give your healing message. Healing has become a trap for us not to deal with death. So that was one thought I had. Uh, the other is, I personally think we mix up what humans' work is about when we talk about making a better world. Uh, I think humans have work to do in this process of a living system. And it's not to make a better world. It's to create consciousness that we're human beings have a capacity if developed. And that's the problem. If developed to create the field in which the world can heal itself. It can do what it needs. And there's an arrogance and a humor every time we say, we're doing something, sorry, <laughs> to make the world better. When that's not our job. Uh, our job is to create the field in which each living being, each species, uh, can do its work in a living system. And then the world will work. And uh, and by the way, it's all uh, not real anyway, the physical thing we think we're trying to fix. So... <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I'm getting a little tired. Uh, so that was my my uh, reflection back. What do you think of that? Beautiful. Yeah. No, it's spot on as usual. <laughs> it makes me think of you know Ramdas's main thing was about the one thing that we can do. The one thing he said I can do is change my heart so that I can resonate right. and radiate that and allow whatever exactly. can happen needs to happen happen yeah um we don't want to get off this wonderful conversation without talking about this extraordinary work that you've been doing through a number of books uh, shall i call it in general regenerative business practice which includes uh, much more than that and uh is that a good I way to kick that off punch 
I would call it consciousness at work. Uh. And that means, and I use it, I started using regenerative 47 years ago because of a man I was working with uh, who became a partner uh, because I felt like it was, and it was so similar to what my grandfather had tried to describe. Now, I pick business as a target because it has lots of power. And it also had a mechanism where I could teach them to make lots of money. And they never had to trade that off. And soon it became unimportant. But every client I ever had increased their revenue 35 to 65% a year really? by being conscious. Yeah. And they all said that publicly and wrote forwards to my book. So I call it the Trojan horse. <laughs> uh, that yeah. I teach them how to do a lot of great things. So generally, it's about consciousness in organizations and where people work. And the regenerative is a, a branch, I guess you'd call it. I'm not too much into branding. <laughs> Someone but, yeah. in this call is into it, though. Can you yeah. talk again about what that's meant to you in the practices that you've engaged with over, I know, many years? Through your well, I, I'll just say that I, I just applaud. I mean, you know, um, Krishna Das at the end of his kirtan talks about uh, walking in the footsteps mm. of, um, you know, Those the great thing I just, us, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just say that the work I do around impact businesses, walking in footsteps like Carol's, um, you know, who have, who have really, um, been trailblazers in this area. And, um, also, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that sometimes when in Rome, you know, y y if you talk about profit, you can make more profit this way. Uh, they tend to do it right. Uh, if you talk right. about, I want, I want to inject consciousness. It, it doesn't go so well. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's been interesting to watch this regenerative ride, you know, it's, it's quite yeah. a, trend now and the and the um the the word has been um kind of yeah. gotten some baggage and um <laughs> you know it's it's a, a lot of folks within the regenerative movement kind of fighting amongst themselves with toothpicks as kind of mainstream business continues to roll in various ways but it does seem like it's getting some pickup it's infecting you know purpose is infecting business in a lot of uh positive ways um so that i mean i'm i'm very um optimistic about the the direction you know the trajectory that folks like carol have set for businesses small and and large you know uh to be joining this movement in various ways and i i just look at it like a continuum just whether it's the the human, the leader, or the business, it's a continuum of you know them moving along, be, becoming more aware, witnessing their you know our actions, our consciousness around certain ways that we are in the world, whether we're a human or we're a business, and uh, realizing that uh, we can have more um, harmonious relationships with our ecosystem and our surroundings and people and the planet and so forth if we bring more consciousness and hopefully you know businesses and leaders move along that continuum in some way. And I've, I've seen Carol move many of these movements, businesses, leaders along that, along that continuum over the years of, of watching her work in the world. Hmm. Can I be a brief positive contrarian? Please. I, I think most people have missed the major work 
that were generations about and are making about uh, forests and land and things. And eventually it's the mind that you unless it shifts. And my newest book, which will be out September 7th, is about the epistemology being wrong that we're working with and it's spreading rapidly and I think depleting what regeneration can do. So I'll send you both a copy of the book as soon as it releases if you'll give me an address or a Kindle uh, that says, here's what's missing uh, for the movement to actually work and make any difference. Well, I'm I'm actually, I, I'm really interested in this because I saw that you're doing some things engaging around sacred texts um, right. with, with uh, and, and divine listening. And I, I'm just... I would love to hear more about because it sounds like that's where you're going potentially with this new this new book in some no, way. I, no, actually, the, that is about supporting all the people who want to know how to be with me dying. Mm. There's way too much trying to take care of me. Uh, but uh, the new book is more about how we live in a world dominated by behaviorism and that's the whole idea of everything is external and the experts, like I'm called an expert and it's the biggest insult you can give me. It means I'm not doing my work because uh, I'm sorry, but I don't even believe in gurus because uh, I believe I'm a little like Christian or murdering. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that the whole idea we've got around regenerative experts and so forth is an uh, an example of what uh, John Watson did when he created behaviorism, which is take people's minds away from them and supplant it with uh, absorbing ideas, best practices, etc. And the book is subtitle. Well, the title is "No More Gold Stars," and the subtitle is "Regenerating Capacity." to think for ourselves because we don't do that anymore. And the regenerative movement, I think, is filled with people with their toothpicks, as you say, competing to be the best expert uh, rather than teaching people to think for themselves and examine what's going on. And I think the inability of us to examine ideas and become our, our own uh, researcher own experimenter is really important if we actually want to learn to see what the living system is like and how it works, how society works. So that's, uh, I have my, what you call public facing work and my sacred work. Mm. And they're in kind of different domain. Most of people who are members know about the spiritual side, but my public work is all transliterations of that, trying to take everything Ram Dass said, the mother, uh, uh, Gurdjieff, uh, other saints around the world. There's threads that run through all of it, and we don't know how to see it. And so everybody has their own teacher, uh, their own path, but mostly regeneration is not starting from wisdom like that. It's starting from uh, pop psychology based on behavior. So, mm. 
Well, Buddha did say you should be your own researcher, so yes, you're right exactly. in line. Exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know what I love, Carol, from uh, just you know stuff that I've read and noticed. There's this one. We just have to. I just have to hear about this before we, before we leave. <laughs> Disrupt your current certainties. Yeah. I love that, and that's yeah. so much. We are so lost in thinking we know, and we are yeah. so committed to it. How do we disrupt? All right. So one of the things I believe, which I don't know is in any spiritual tradition, but it's probably because it's in other forms, is the idea of everything alive has an essence. As a what? I'm sorry. Everything that's alive. Has an essence. Essence. Yes, uh, yeah. right. Thank you. Sorry, my tongue doesn't no, work no, so no, well. Uh, and um, we can really see and understand that like, you were born with part of what you got as you came in with an essence, uh, which was uh, really who you are, what your being is. And your being is more important than any of your doing, as you well know. Uh, and so one of the things I do a lot with my clients is help them learn their essence work. And mine, as my grandfather said, is to disrupt certainty. The uh -huh. minute somebody uh -huh. says something, I'm very good at hearing what paradigm they're speaking from and they don't know it. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to go back to Gagan and work on his impact. That's a Newtonian idea, not a quantum idea. I can hear it immediately. And so I go I go to work for the minute he says something on disrupting when he currently thinks is right when he's not because I want him to agree with me. I want him to learn how to get unstuck. And more importantly, don't know how to see the essence in everything. I have a a story in the regenerative business. Uh, about a, a mother and daughter, uh, Nancy and Jane. And Nancy had just come out of prison and gotten her daughter back at uh, 13 years old. And uh, she was cutting herself, doing terrible things. Her mother was trying to save. And I ran a program for ex-prisoners with children. Uh, this was out of Alcatraz. Uh, and... Uh, what she had been trying to do was she should be a good girl. It was constantly affirming when she had the right behavior. And when she came out, she also tried doing the things mothers should do with daughter, cooking, mm. whatever it was she thought. And she came to me in this class at the back of the room and said, well, Jane is not getting better. And I'm doing all these things. And I said, well, what is it Jane is about? What what does she get excited about? What does she try and uh, do in the world? She well, she spends too much time in theater or doing all this theater stuff. I said, well, how? What's that look like? Well, she writes plays and goes and produces them with her friends. I said, what are the plays about? And she said, well, all she's upset about. I said, well, how did they end? When she figured things out and told her friend, I said, I'd build her a theater. <laughs> uh, and I'd build a program on, because that's her essence. She 
helps people see and helps herself see by exploring through storytelling. And she thought that was kind of useless, but it's her essence. And uh, about 20 years later in Palo Alto, California, I went into a, a, a kid's play, and there was Jane teaching all these kids in the community center how to work on their stuff through writing plays, creating theater, building costume, and remaking their lives. Wow. That's a disrupting certainty for Nancy, and she got it. Mm. And she supported her daughter's essence. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Oh, so great. Great to meet you, Carol. Really. It's so great to meet you, Rego. I'm just delighted. And thanks again for, for joining us. I don't know if you have any last thoughts. Well, just that um, I I know that, uh, I mean, Carol, what you shared about how this, this next steps of the journey and this generous um, way that you're walking that path uh, with, with these folks around you um, and creating that portal. And I just think maybe there's folks from the network who might want to support mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, on, on the, as I think you put it that, you know, there's us humans have to deal with this money thing sometimes. Um, and, yeah. uh, so the more, the, the more that this community could do, uh, to, to help with that, um, obviously mm. it free, it frees you up to do this incredible work that'll be so beneficial for the rest of us. So I just maybe, uh, would put out there to the community, um, I don't know if, if they can go to your website, uh, if there's something on the website or, or any or something that we could well, put we'll out. Have, again, we'll have a direct link in the show notes okay. um, that we'll get from Pamela, I guess. And, yeah. Yeah. And people will be able to directly, obviously, link to Carol's website to get uh, all this wonderful uh, wisdom available. Uh, to be able to, to to get to it. And, you know, there's blogs. There's, it's rich. Podcasts. Yeah. Carol's got yeah. a, a lot of material, so plenty to choose from. So we'll have that as well. And, uh, yeah, again, we, we thank you. And sharing your journey and doing what you're doing, it does remind me exactly of Ram Dass and what he did. Well, that would be lovely because... Uh, the spirit world he left behind for all of us is such a gift. So any part that I can share in my own learning, I'm happy to be a part of your community as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So everybody, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and take advantage of all the wonderful presenters and podcasters that we have available from Ram Dass to Alan Watts to Jack Cornfield and Krishna Das. So uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. And again, thank you very much again, Carol. Thank you.